Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where today is going to be a very interesting day, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. Um, last week, check out last week's podcast. Had a gentleman by the name of Philip Long on the show. Um, we got his book up here. He wrote a book about the beginner's guide to the book of Enoch. Um, we got into a deep dive on Enoch and what that book pertains and what it's about and just kind of Philip's ideas on, on how all of the book of Enoch works and the truths in it and uh, maybe not so much the truths in it. And if that's of interest to you, check it out last week's podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This week's going to be extremely interesting as well. Um, we've had a few people on talking about extraterrestrial UFOs, those types of things. Uh, Rebecca Hardcastle Wright with her exoconsciousness. And we're going to get into, you know, in today's dismal world, if you can look at it that way, a lot of people do, um, a way to combat that, a way to, to higher consciousness. And there's no better person to bring on to talk about that than the gentleman that we're having on this uh, this afternoon. Sorry, I was going to say this evening, but uh, this afternoon. He's been on the forefront of being able to raise your consciousness. And he's going to tell us how we do that and how UFOs kind of play into that as well. Uh, but Richard Lawrence, thanks for joining Talk Junkies, man. How are you doing? Great, Paul. Very nice of you to invite me. Yeah, I hear you're in the States, man. I am. I'm in California, so uh, south of you then. Yeah, so what's what's going on in California? California, well, we're, we're doing an audio book. We, we, um, a friend and colleague of mine called Brian Kniep and I uh, wrote the biography of Dr. George King. And Dr. George King, if you, if you really, I mean, you have to know about Dr. George King if you want to know anything really about UFO truths. Um, he's one of those individuals you must know about. And Brian and I were very fortunate to know him well, work with him. I co-authored two books with him. And uh, we wrote his biography uh, in, in, what, 2019, actually. It was the 100th anniversary of his birth. He died 25 years ago, 1997. And um, so I'm here recording the audiobook version of The King Who Came to Earth. Very cool. So before we get into that, and I, I'm very excited to talk about him and, and the biography, but just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, man, and how you got to where you are. Well, I, as well, I was one of those people, and I bet you a lot of your your viewers, listeners can relate to this, who who was searching. You know, I, I remember the day when I woke up one when I was 14, and suddenly I wanted to know the purpose of life. And the day before, it hadn't bothered me, really. <laughs> And I started looking then. And, um, you know, I thought, well, this must be on the minds of a lot of people. I mean, uh, you know, especially adults and so on. And I went to the places you might expect to go, especially in those days in England, which would be the church and uh, different people. And I found a couple of things. One, they didn't know the real purpose of life. But that's one thing. But what concerned me more than that was that they didn't really seem to care that much so you know i then got on a quest so cutting a long story short i i came across dr george king more through yoga philosophy i, I was intent on not just believing in something and not just having faith in something but really knowing it myself and that drew me to yoga and that drew me to dr king and then the ufo world opened up as well it's fascinating. I think you're completely right. You know, growing up here in the States, just how minimal the education is and even, you know, going to church and trying to figure out the purpose of life. That's the whole point of my podcast, honestly, is 
spreading knowledge and, and trying to understand what it is that we're all here for. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know how you kind of want to start with it, but um, I, obviously Dr. King and yoga and, and what have you, but in, in your opinion, before we do that, why do you think that they don't want us to truly know the purpose of life if it's out there for us to achieve? They being people on earth. Or, or yeah, the, the government. The, the government mean, and so or, on, yeah. Or, well, first of all, I think most, you know, sadly enough, most of them don't know the purpose of life themselves, really. And they certainly uh, don't want, you know, <laughs> to sh they can't share something they don't know the answer to. And they and of course, what motivates most people, as I think we all know, this is especially in the world of politics is power, is wealth, all the usual things. Um, and there are some of us who that's just not enough for the sort of formulaic, perfect, materialistic life. I think there's an increasing number that just does not tick the box. They want something more. I'm certainly in that category. And the people that one might hope to get that from can't provide it, really. Uh, um, in my case, I was at a, at a school in England which was connected to the main church called the Anglican Church it's in a place called Canterbury. So I, I was actually um, confirmed as a Christian by the most senior person in Britain, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I had access to the dean. So I, I had a few key questions. I was even thinking, you know, as a young teenager, of becoming a vicar in the church myself. And then I had a few key questions that I thought would be easy to answer. And he just didn't know. Well, that was what, this is the dean of the cathedral, one of the most senior people in the church in Britain. And it wasn't that he didn't know, because it'd be one thing if he said, look, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'd love to know myself. If he'd said that, it would have gone better with me. But he tried to kind of waffle, convince me that really, you know, he knew something he didn't know. And, and as, even as a child, you can see through that very quickly. And then he gave me this piece of advice. He said, look, don't think about those things too much. Uh, I don't, he said. And if you do that, you'll find they'll go away. And then you can, you know, come into the church and um, have a very nice career here. I don't, yeah. So I, can't I actually, that, you know, as I say, I was 14 and I, uh, I was in tears. That, that I, just at the, you could say it's disgraceful, you could say it's pathetic, but it was, I thought, these people don't know. So that, that then got me onto the search and it was a, a time really then in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, when people were looking into meditation, it was the Beatles and all that. But most people were doing it as a sort of hippie trend, a sort of, you know, a, a bit of a fashion. But for me, I really meant it. And then I came across, as I say, Dr. George King, who was a master of yoga. I didn't expect to really get to know him. I was just reading his books, trying his exercises, but I found they worked. Now, that, that's what I would really want to stress here, Paul, if I could, is making these things work, having them as real experiences, not sort of some kind of leap of faith, some kind of belief. I mean, faith can be very helpful and valuable, and so can belief, but it's not enough. And that's what I liked about the yoga philosophy. And, and, and I came across, for example, someone called Swami Vivekananda, who was very clear on that point. And so I then tried it and I got immediate results from certain practices and I then pursued it. And as I say, 
there's a whole UFO connection to it, and everything fits into place. Okay, so I, I could see it very quickly. I could say, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Uh, to some people, they might think it sounds a bit crazy, but uh, who wants to be totally sane in a crazy world? Right. <laughs> so, what age did you start doing this this uh, yoga? In specifically, you're talking about a certain type of yoga, right? Because there are multiple yeah. different yogas out there. I'm sure they're all beneficial. Um, but what is it? What type of yoga did you? Put into place. Well, what, what, funnily enough, what we did um, three years ago when, when, we, when the biography that I mentioned was published, we also, in that sort of time period and just before it, we um, used the name King Yoga to summarize uh, what you're asking me because it, it's, it's so, there's so many aspects to it that um, it's, it's, you know, you can use phrases like karma yoga, you can pranayama, mantra yoga, so many branches, Rajanani, I could list them off, Kundalini, but they're all encompassed in this, in this king yoga. But what I would say is two things. First of all, and this is what really, you know, stopped me in my tracks, really, is that the first, it, it is kind of obvious, the first and foremost thing is service to others. So it's a form of yoga which is really based on service to others, but not just people you know, loved ones, family, people you meet, the whole world. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, which is a big thing, which I've discovered even recently to be absolutely correct, is that if you do this, all possibilities are open to you in terms of your personal development, your spiritual development. It really works at an individual level. So, yeah, and, okay, so I know you're probably going to go obviously more into it, but I guess, like, for me, like, the, the hardest part is, like, it's so hard for everyone to do those things because of the type of environment we're in. At least here in the States, in the Western society, I, I haven't really traveled to any third world countries. I've been to Aruba. It was a beautiful place. The people were nice, but not like a place where there's poverty um, you know, no running food, water, electric, all those types of things. It's just extremely hard to do those things in, in Western society anyways, for me, because you, you, you walking down the street, you see someone and for the most part, people in the Midwest are nice, but you are going to have those people who just aren't having it, you know, and they're not about it. And they're not probably ever going to try what Dr. King described. Well, I've got some really good news which is that you can make a everyone can make a difference in world events, and I, I'm including something like the the Ukraine conflict, which you know because that's going on right now. Um, but there are plenty of others, you know, the starvation in Sudan, whatever you care to name. Obviously, there are material things that can be done to help people, and and, and wonderful work is done by the Red Cross, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at a spiritual level, which is the real level, it's not just the reflection of the uh, of reality. That is the reality. If anything, the physical world is the reflection. And at that level, everybody can make a difference. That was proved to me very early on. Uh, that's the first thing I tried, um, which was a form of prayer called dynamic prayer. Now, prayer, I think, is really misunderstood in the world uh, because a lot of people think it's like just requesting things from God, like some kind of shopping list, you know. Um, and it isn't. It's essentially channeling spiritual energy. Uh, and you can feel it. 
And I felt it straight away. Now, I'm not going to say everybody will do that. We're all different. Uh, it's a tangible, uh, physical, it feels physical sensation when you start to do what I'm calling dynamic prayer. And everybody can do it. It's as simple as anything. You just raise the hands, visualize white light, and make a request. If you, you can make it to God. You can make it to Brahma. You can just make it as a positive mental visualization, if you like. And it will go out, and it will go out to help uh, others. And it, and it works at a healing level. That's been well proved over and over again. Um, and, you know, I, I run workshops, for example, where we send energy to people in the room. And I've had a, quite a few people who've never done it before who are on the receiving end of this energy um, feel pushed back by the energy without any physical contact whatsoever. It, it's a real thing. It's not a, a theory. It's not an idea uh, or just a matter of faith. It's not something you just do in lip service. It's a direct channeling of energy. So everybody can do that. And then when you do, you feel you've done something. But the other thing that happens then when you start to do that is you start to awaken your own inner spiritual being, which the yogis would say would be the chakras or the psychic centers, the kundalini force, the inner energies start to move. And this brings much greater enlightenment, can bring greater peace. Uh, it can bring much greater inspiration. And eventually you get to the point uh, where you can know God. Or Brahma. It doesn't matter really what name you give that or what religion you are or aren't. So, but you can know that. You no longer but just believe in it. So For sure. So I guess, in, and again, you, you have a lot of laziness. You have a lot of uh, things in life are True. hard. Things in True. Life, yeah. Laziness, yeah. yeah there, things in life are hard. To, nothing comes easy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And yeah. I, I have dabbled into um, some self-guided meditation when I'm laying down which is very yeah. fascinating. Michael Seeley, very great guy, helps you open up your chakras. Yeah, I've, heard I've, the name. Yeah, yeah. I felt, felt whenever I did my first meditation, guided meditation on YouTube listening to him, I literally felt every chakra in my body. It was the most, one of the most profound experiences. Well, there you are, you see. So you felt it. It wasn't just a, like a, an idea. Right. It was a real experience. Yeah. Exactly. It was wild. So um, I've, I've actually had um, a DreamWork author on it's DreamWork yoga i forget his name his books over here it was fascinating you can even bring in lucid dreaming kind of into this yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to stray away but what i'm saying is it's hard to consistently do it every night you know what i'm it's saying it's interesting you say that you know because the one thing i would say that dr king who was a very highly disciplined very practical person with a tremendous sense of humor i mean he, i was a, a he was a great friend of mine and i was a great friend of his as well as him being as it were, my master. I was a disciple of his too. But he, the one thing he really couldn't abide was laziness in people. I mean, and that's, it's, you know, one can understand it. But in the end, don't be surprised if you don't get anywhere. You know, is all I could say to that. For sure, you have yeah. to make an effort to do anything, don't you? Exactly. I don't think there's like an answer to just say, "Hey, you need to do it." It's it's up to the individual, and it is. It was it, and it's not about converting people or or making people feel you know guilty. Even it's it's just the the opportunities are there. We we have um because he Dr King was a great medium and I, I you know I'm happy to talk more about that if you're interested. I mean oh, yeah. that was he was a, a medium like no other medium has ever been. 
Uh, and I say that because I've done mediumship myself for 30 years. And he was in a complete league of his own. And one of the messages he got at one point said basically this. He said it was, it was from another planet. And it went something like this, not word for word, this is from memory. You wouldn't dip your foot in a basin of acid, but you do worse than that with your souls. And that's like a message to humanity. And it's it's just stu it's stupid, it's foolish, and it's not necessary. And it, okay, yes, it requires effort, but at the same time also, you get a tremendous uplift. You, you know, because what goes around comes around. As you sow, so shall you reap, that's karma. So you're putting out the energy, you're gonna get the energy back. And as I say, you then start to activate your inner psychic and spiritual nervous system, you might call it, and the results are wonderful. I mean, there's peace, there's bliss, that's all good. <laughs> it's more than good. But the alt, the great thing, and I've, I've discovered this myself quite recently, by the way, uh, very recently, is you can actually know God. So you don't just believe in it or have faith in it. You, 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 you know it. And that's something that you can get through service not through going off into a cave on your own for years into retreat, serving humanity. You, you might well be doing a job, you might have a lot of physical things to do, but if it's, if it's geared to world service and you do the practices that are available through uh, ethereus.org, that's A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S, that's the society Dr. King founded, um, and I'm secretary of it, they're the ones I've used, and you will get results. I mean, there's no ifs or buts, and you'll know. In the end, you can get to the point where you, you know. So before we get into Dr. King a little bit more, I want to ask a question. Do you, have you ever been with someone or around someone that's practicing these types of things to a point where they're about to be able to heighten their, their consciousness, right? Is there ever a point where they, they don't know what to do? It could be scary, and what would you say to oh, yeah. them in, the, in those moments? I think when you do really start to, to get real elevated results, um, you, there's a part of you that can panic a bit, uh, feel a bit fearful of certain things for sure. Uh, you, you can get tested on feed. You might feel lonely. You might go through that a bit. Uh, there, there are many tests along, along the way, but you can get, you get through that and they're not real really those things but you know let me be careful here because one has to keep one's feet on the ground one has to be very practical you know one has to and and dr king was very much of that approach you know one ha we have to live in the world and as it were not be of the world um but yes just prior to a state of higher consciousness Yes, you can uh, panic a bit or feel a bit frightened of it. And some people give up at that point. What I would do, I, what I would suggest, though, is you don't kind of overreact either way. You just keep going on and you keep your logical faculty active in life, I mean. So you're examining things. And, you know, you we can all make mistakes. I've done a lot of, in fact, the main thing that I, I sort of, as it were, got known for was my first book, Unlock Your Psychic Powers. So I've taught a lot of people that. And you have to be careful with that. And you have to be careful with mediumship. It can lead to mental health conditions if you allow your imagination to take over. So, yes, there are pitfalls. You've got to be very sensible, very practical, but just keep plowing on 
in a sort of, as it were, determined manner. Um, and you'll get there. For sure. So I think I feel like we've almost regressed as a, as a society with technology and the, the third industrial revolution or whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. within your work and, and within your research, have you seen a period of time on, on Earth where maybe what you are doing was something that was, you know, very prevalent within that society? Like if you look Absolutely. at the, yeah, like if you look at the Egyptian cultures or even in that period when pyramids were being built all around the world around the same time. Yeah. And almost to me seems like that what you're describing is what they were doing as a community, as a species of humans together, working together, helping each other. And maybe they benefited and we're doing exactly what you're talking about. I think you're really onto something there, Paul, because you if you know what we know of ancient Egypt, it's not it's not the Egypt, no disrespect here at all, but it's not the Egypt we know now at all. Um, it, it was, uh, what one can gather, a highly practical but spiritually based at one time, um, or shall we say mystically based, that it might even be a better description of it, where they also use certain kinds of technology like shape power in the pyramids. And if you go also back to the early Hindu scripts, which I'm very, very, this is probably a funny word to use, but very fond of, such as the Ramayana, which I believe to be the oldest Sanskrit text on earth that they know of, um, that I think takes us back to Atlantis. But what, what I've noticed is that people who adhere to it, very often they regard it as myth. And you get the same with the ancient Greek legends too. It's myth- mythological. And as soon as you can just call it myth, then you are saying, well, is it true? Is it not true? You leave that sort of woolly, uncommitted area. Well, when I look at the Ramayana and I read about the Pushpaka Vimana, which was one of the greatest flying saucers or UFOs or UAPs in history, a satellite that carried large numbers of people from what is now Sri Lanka up to the Himalayas, I believe it. I don't think it's a myth. Uh, Why not? And, you know, it describes a very different period. And sadly, some of the weaponry that, that, that is described in there and, and actually in the Old Testament, such as Sodom and Gomorrah and so on, is very reminiscent of nuclear weaponry. So, you know, I think some of these things you're talking about, some of these early civilizations that included spirituality at the core and also had technology um, are, are real. And, you know, we have in some ways declined, although it seems from those uh, sagas in the Mahabharata, Ramayana and so on, there were terrible conflicts as well. And and they went way off beam and just thank, thank goodness, um, you know, some of the things they had aren't being used by military today. That's all right. I would say. So it, it, that's almost unfortunate that even at a, at a spiritual level as a, as a community or society or civilization, there's still conflict, you know, so that, that just seems something exactly. that's embedded in humans. And true. And of course, there's a difference, isn't there, between, uh, you know, technological advancement and metaphysical or mystical knowledge and pure spirituality, which is your motivation. But I think I think the good news today, though, I, th- I think this is just wonderful, is that you can do so because if if you look, say, to India, just to take an example, and you could say the same of uh, ancient China too, and certain other parts, there was a uh, high respect at one time for those who followed the spiritual path, the sannyasins, those who who went 
all the way down the spiritual line would be respected in the villages and wherever they went, really. And they would regard it, the villagers, as a great blessing if these sannyasins or gurus or uh, master sadhus, whatever, came near into their communities. And they would know that they'd be helped by their very presence, even if they were just sitting in the market square. They knew all that. It was all integrated. But there's a but. The focus was purely on spiritual personal development. It was on self. It was on self-realization. The wonderful thing about the Aetherius Society and King Yoga, the focus isn't on that. The focus is on service. And then you get the self-development. And I, I know that because I've done it for over 50 years and it works. For sure. So let's get into to Dr. King a little bit. Um, at, at what age did he start or what age did he see or have an awakening or that that all awakening moment and, and what prompted him? He was an extremely unusual person. And as I say, you know, we're doing the audio book now. And so I'm, I'm reading it, narrating it. So that's, that's why I'm in L.A. And I'm finding again the content of it is is completely unique. It's that I haven't come. I don't think there's another story like Dr. King. So he was very spiritually inclined as a, even as a child with certain powers that 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 he, that he experienced as a child didn't fully understand um he was in a family of conscientious objectors his father had been a conscientious objector in the first world war he was a conscientious objector in the second world war but he was a fearless person Everyone who knew him, his sister, his mother, they say that about him. And he was actually a very accomplished fighter for sport in boxing. And so he wasn't, um, you know, by inclination, he was actually a fighter. But he didn't fight in that war. Instead, uh, he took part in the fire service. But he turned then to yoga. Now, that's very unusual, particularly after the war, what, 1945. You didn't get men, particularly in men, I think, in England, sort of taking up yoga very earnestly. It just wasn't be being done. There were visiting yogis would come over and give a talk or something. But he did. He, he took it up. And when I say took it up, I mean eight hours a day for 10 years. Eight hours a day for 10 years. I really haven't found anybody, Paul, and I have looked, who's ever done that. Um, I, certainly in the West. It might have been done in the East, but it would be a very different community and such a person wouldn't be doing a job as he was doing a job. He didn't have money. He didn't have family income and he certainly wasn't uh, on social benefits. He worked all through that period and did the yoga and, of course, gained great powers, uh, powers of astral out-of-body experience, um, powers of mediumship, powers of healing, a whole variety of psychic abilities, supernormal strength. But the big thing was the ra rising of Kundalini. You know, we've got something which is extremely unusual and actually, I was talking to my wife about it this morning, uh, who's, who's been doing this longer than I've been doing this, actually. Um, and we were saying it's extremely unusual to see somebody entering somatic trance. Somatic trance is the goal of yoga, as some, some people may know. And it's the most elevated meditative. It's not really like meditation as we now know it. Meditation as we now know it is often to help with stress, to help cope with life, to sleep better, to, you know. But that's, that's maybe very good for some people. It's, it's more like a health remedy. 
uh, to a lot of people. But that's not true meditation. It's certainly not samadhi. It's a very demanding state. It's a very elevated state. And we actually have footage, film footage, of Dr. King entering samadhi. So you can see a person in front of you on camera entering this state. I don't think that's... I'm not saying it's completely unique, probably isn't, but it's, if it isn't, it's extremely rare. And he achieved that, and it was only, this is the key thing I would say, only after that was he contacted, formally contacted, uh, by intelligences from other worlds. And then he became a medium. So he was a medium who could enter samadhi, and did enter samadhi in order to be a medium. Now, I really don't know of anybody else, including the greats like Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and so on, who've even claimed that. That is, that's some, man, that just to be a part it of, is. to be a part of that and see it, you know, and have it recorded and just that he it's was recorded. your friend. Like that. You can see it on the internet. It's, it's, it's out there. What, yeah. what types of conversations did you have with this guy? I mean, once he's doing yeah. these things, like, what is it like to talk to someone like that? Amazing. I mean, I talk to him every day, uh, for 20 years. I would say at least on average, at least every day, quite often more than once. So I was talking to him all the time. And then when I was over in America, I was staying with him. And so I was either with him or I was on the phone to him. And I, I'm very lucky because he, he sometimes if we were conducting business, because we were running the, he was running the Ethereum Society and I was doing it for him in, in Europe with some others, but I was the one he spoke to. And so we tape recorded those conversations. So I've got a, so that it could then be played to the other people. They, they knew what he'd wanted be, to be done. And I, I've actually got a tape recording of him telling me I'm, I'm one of his greatest friends. I only mention that because it, it does show that he was a personable person. He had a tremendous sense of humor. He was a very practical person. He listened to advice, and sometimes he wanted it, and sometimes he didn't. He could also be a very strict master, no nonsense. You didn't have to guess what he thought, because he made it clear. He would tell you straight to your, you know, you, 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 it was one of these people you thought, I hope I'm all right, I hope I haven't upset him. You would know. Or if he was pleased with you, you would know. And so he was a very straight, very direct person. But this is strange, Paul. It might sound strange. He was a shy person. Uh, he didn't like publicity, doing it, I mean. Uh, he, he liked it, but he didn't like doing it. Uh, he didn't like, particularly like the public platform. Uh, at the same time, as I say that, he was a, an extremely confident person in that he absolutely knew who he was, what he was doing. Uh, I never saw ever in all those years a whisker of a doubt uh, about him. And, I, and I'd have to say that I think even his biggest critics would have to say that he lived completely what he what he believed. And most people don't do that. So I, no. th the big question in the room is after, you know, describing him and what type of person he is. But before you got into that, you talked about how he basically entered another realm or another world or planet or whatever it is. What, what were the type of thing like? Did he have goals once he knew he was able to break the plane and, and go somewhere else? Which, again, like you said, how rare that is. 
Yeah, he he was taught to uh, by a, a, actually a Swami who who visited him how to uh, he he had already had out of body or astral projection is what you might call it uh, experiences, but he was taught how to predetermine exactly where to go, and um, and this was very important to him because a lot of his mission took place what you might say in other realms. You know, he was a person who actually didn't really like having blind faith. He liked to check things out. So when he first was contacted, in, and it was an audible contact, it's not unique. I, I would say in terms of the experience that he had, the, the most famous example that I can think of in history would be the St. Paul experience on the road to Damascus. You know, those who are familiar with it, where he was, you know, he heard Jesus as an audible physical voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I think it was. And then he completely changed, 100 percent changed. I mean, it's a it's a great story. It's a great example from one thing to the opposite. He moved, he changed. In the case of Dr. King, he heard an audible voice. So in that, in terms of the sort of methodology is what I mean. It was a similar type of thing. He heard a physical voice. He wanted to check it out. He didn't just take that as being enough. Uh, and he was told to prepare himself to become uh, the voice of interplanetary parliament, is how it was put to him. It's very psychological, not just in his contact, actually, the way intelligences from other worlds contact people on this world. I, I've heard of, I met a man called Dan Fry, an American man who had an experience called, I think, the White Sands Incident. And when he had the experience, they were calling him Buddy. Um, and they, they, they used a lingo that he could relate to at the time. And I believe in that particular contact, too. Uh, it's just that Dan Fry didn't, uh, I mean, I met him when he was very elderly, but he didn't have a whole mission like Dr. King did, anything to compare with it. But he had that one experience. Um, so... He checked it out and he used his yoga, his meditation, and then he was able to gain samadhi. He all, the various things happen. It's a long story. It's all, all in the biography, the sure. king who came to earth. But he uh, learned certain techniques um, of trying to keep this as you know, untechnical as possible, really, um, so that he could raise Kundalini to a particular psychic center at will, Whenever it was determined, and it could be like 120, 120 seconds, two minutes notice it could be, and he'd have to enter this trance condition. It is a trance condition, but it's a positive trance. I mean, having done mediumship myself, I would not recommend people to do trance. I think it can be quite dangerous unless they can enter a positive somatic condition, and that would be... I don't know how many people on earth, I mean, a tiny, tiny handful would be able to do it. And those who could haven't used it for this purpose. But Dr. King did. He used Samadhi. And as I say, it's on film. People can see him doing it. And then various intelligences would speak through him. And the, and the communications they gave were truly outstanding. I mean, I, I'm a lover of of. Many teachings, you know, in the Ethereum Society, we're not one of these organizations. We're not a cult. And we're not an organization that comes along and says, look, everything else is rubbish. Nobody knew anything. And then along come us and we know everything. We're, we're not saying that at all. 
There's some great teachings out there. The Bhagavad Gita, the Tao Te Ching, could list them off. Raja Yoga, Patanjali, and some of the Bible. It's not very accurate, but some of it. Um, you know, there's some great things out there, but there really is nothing. I do a show, actually, I do a podcast called The Spiritual Freedom Show, and it's based on a set of teachings called The Nine Freedoms. And I just am continually amazed by the depth, the profound nature, and yet the very simple way they're expressed. I mean, anyone can check this out and, and you know whether they believe in ufos or whether they believe in somatic trance or all the things that i've mentioned they can just judge by the content and the caliber of teachings like the nine freedoms and the other one i'd mentioned the 12 blessings sorry paul i went on no, too long. no you're fine so. you're fine dude it's, it's fascinating okay. it's amazing okay. i i truly enjoy it um so I, I, again i'm gonna have to look in i I, I don't know if I've ever heard of Dr. King before talking to you. I'm sure I have, right. man. Being on the internet, you know, since I was a kid, I'm sure I've seen it at some in some fashion. But I guess um, what are probably the most controversial things that maybe he had said after he went into these state, these, these you know, these trances and meeting these inter, intergalactic, you know, I don't even know the words to say because I have no idea what it is. But what are, what are some of the controversial things that maybe Controversial, okay. Well, one of the things which made perfect sense to me, and I came across this at university when I was 18, and it made absolute sense to me from the get-go, is that, but it wouldn't to everyone, and some people would find it heretical and they wouldn't like it, but none of that matters. It's All that matters is, is it true? So here's one. He said that some of the great... Uh, spiritual figureheads through history, Jesus, Buddha, Sri Krishna, Lao Tse, you know, I could go on, Patanjali, uh, Confucius, and others, uh, they, and Samson, there's an interesting one, Hercules, he said that these were, or they said through him, that these were from other beings from other planets. So you have a concept in Hinduism of the avatar, which is just a phrase that means divine incarnation. And so you have that concept going back to Rama, going back to Krishna and others. Jesus is said to be a divine incarnation. And there are many others. I mean, and, and, the, and it's not the only virgin birth. I mean, Samson's mother uh, wasn't able to conceive and that she did conceive with Samson, very large child too. Um, and so it it's... It explains everything. These were intelligences who came from other worlds. And they were born through the womb of Earth women in order to do missions of various kinds on Earth. And so, when you get that, you can see it's all part of one plan. It's not like you're either a Buddhist or you're a Christian or you're a Jew or you're a Hindu. Or It's all part of one seamless plan bringing different aspects of truth. There's a wonderful parable that was taught by a great teacher, Sri Ramakrishna, at the end of the 19th century, teacher of Vivekananda and other, other yogis, actually. And he said that uh, if you took, I, I might have this a little wrong, but this is the spirit of it. He said if you took a four, uh, I think they were blind boys, I think he said, or maybe they were blindfolded boys, probably, and, and you got them to touch, each one of them to touch an elephant. Then they'd never seen an elephant at all, but each one was allowed to touch one part of that elephant. Might be the trunk, might be the tail, might be a leg. 
Each one had one touch. Uh, and then to describe it, the elephant, you'd get four different descriptions. But actually, they're all describing the same elephant. And that, he said, are the different religions touching on God. That's deep. It's amazing. It's a wonderful, and, and he actually demonstrated it. He went out of his way to practice Christianity, I think the Islam faith, certainly Hinduism, and enter Samadhi through each one, just to prove his point. You see, that's, um, what, that's what frustrates yeah. me is that I'm not saying that there's an overarching force that doesn't want all of this to happen, but when you describe these things, it almost like out here in the States, it almost seems like that's what they don't want us to do. Like they don't want us to find our spiritual self, yeah. and and it's just frustrating because you have organized religion and it's all about money and it's all about wealth and power, like you like you yeah. said earlier. And to me, it's like these people are seeking you know internal life or they're seeking this mat. You know, they want to live forever. I feel like most people, when they get to that that stature of power, they don't want to leave it behind. So they have to be seeking these things out. Yeah, I mean, let's not overestimate them either. I mean, they are often sort of all wrapped up in their own materialistic political games or whatever they're into. And, you know, they're not actually spending time looking for truth and probably they don't even want truth. They just want their own, as they see it, success. It's not really success. And the good news, what they don't realize is that you do live forever, just not in the same body necessarily. We all live forever. And we're all subject to a law of karma. And uh, Dr. King was a total expert on karma. Uh, he really, that was his thing, as, as you might say. And he really understood it. And so it's a question of whether we try to fight the law of karma, which is all there for our benefit. It's not to punish anyone. It's not sort of, oh, Joe, you're going to get sort of bad time as a punishment. If you do bad, you get bad to punish you. You, 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 everything is to learn. All experiences to learn with the idea ultimately of us taking us back to God, which we are anyway. We're all, we all have God within us or divinity within us. What the last book that uh, Dr. King wrote, uh, and it was finished posthumously actually, was called Realize Your Inner Potential. And I was honored to co-author that with Dr. King. And he was very excited about it. It was in the last months of his life. And in it, there's over 40 practices in that book. And we, he went through every single practice in there with me individually that's in there. They're all tried and tested. They really, really work. And, you, and the whole purpose there is to realize your inner potential, not just through meditation, but through expression, through service as well through sending energy out to the world, which is about the most wonderful thing any of us can do. And it, and it really works. But you could call that realize your God potential or realize your Brahma potential or your divine potential or, you know, whatever word. These are just words that we come up with for something which is above and beyond words. It almost seems like, and you said that was the last book before he had passed. It, it seems like yeah. probably one of the more more important books, especially again because it's service to everyone, and that what what that's what he was trying to convey before he passed was to figure out your inner self. You know that. Yeah, and he liked it because it's a very practical book. I mean, it's it's not, you know, you it everything can be tested. It's as I say, it's got over forty exercises in the in the book, and they're all ones that work. 
They're all tried and tested. By the way, I don't get any royalties. In case anyone thinks I'm trying to plug a book here, I get no royalties or any financial gain from the sale of that book. So I, I'm completely liberated. And nor did he, by the way. We gave all that to the, to the work. That's awesome. And so well, I can say it's a fantastic book. It really is. I say it because it's, you know, I, I helped to write it, but that was an honor. It, it, it's, it's his book. He loved it. He thought it could be the one that would really connect with people. And, and I think it does because there are things in there and some of them are cosmic in origin. Quite a few of the exercises in that book were not given by people from this world. That makes it very different, Paul. So you almost have to have a photographic memory at that point. Whenever you're, you know, he's going into these states and he's having these conversations with, you know, otherworldly beings. Um, how do you come out, out of that and just, you know, have a detailed memory of everything that happened? Well, that's a fantastic question, if you don't mind me. I don't mean to sound patronizing, but I think that's, you know, not many people would ask the question like that. It's really good because he didn't have a memory of it at all. It's very interesting. In fact, he did an interview over here on television when he first came to America, which would be 19, I think, 59 or 60. He did this interview. It's a show called, I think, The Tom Duggan Show. And he took a transmission on it. So uh, he, he entered trance, received the transmission, and then he was asked after it, um, you know, what he thought. I can't remember the exact question, but you know, did he remember what had been said? Uh, what, what did he think of what had been said or words to that effect? And he said, no, I can't, I can't remember. He had to hear the tape back himself because he was in that trance state where his entire focus, 100% was on receiving the message. That's why the messages that he received as a medium are so accurate. And the quality of the voice, which is recognizable, you can get a communicator speaking in 1955, and then that same communicator by the name of Ethereus uh, speaking in 1979, and the voice is exactly the same. It's recognizable. And and I happen to know because I spent a lot of time with him, and he was a, a great um, raconteur and a great humorist. And quite often we'd be, um, you know, he, he and all of us, but he would be telling jokes which required you to mimic an accent or mimic a voice. And he was okay, but he wasn't outstanding at that. I can say that. You know, so, why should he be? And nor am I. But if he entered trance, my point being, he was pluperfect. He was absolutely spot on with the voice. And that's because his entire focus, you know, was on just receiving that pure communication in a form of mediumship that nobody else has ever done. I mean, I stand to be challenged on that. I don't think anyone else has ever used the technique that he used, uh, the somatic technique, to be a medium. Um, you know, but the end, to answer your question, though, just to put your mind at rest, they were recorded. And he went to tremendous lengths. I mean, he used Telefunken microphones in, you know, in the 60s. I mean, he was using the, you know, and he didn't have money. And he wasn't interested in having money for himself at all, really. But he did get very good recording equipment for, of the day. And so they're all preserved. And they are available. And oh, wow. people can hear them. And that's this again makes it. I mean, can you imagine if you had a recording of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount? You know, uh, how much more powerful would that be? Well, we have the equivalent of that better than that, actually, with something called the 12 blessings. You can hear Jesus. I've heard I've met people 
and I played them this voice of Jesus speaking through Dr. King, Jesus coming from Venus, there's a controversial statement, um, speaking through Dr. King, and I've had someone who, well, I didn't tell them who it was, and they recognized the voice. They said, that's Jesus. So that's just insane. I, I need to listen to these. I'm so you surprised. I've never, I've never, I've yeah. never dabbled into this, but yeah. So he, I mean, how many different voices did he, I mean, they're not, his voice right. is right. You know, how many, he talked to a lot of people. Yeah. Yes, quite a few. I mean, there were some main communicators. The, the two most common was the one I mentioned, the master Ethereus, mm -hmm. which isn't his real name, actually. In fact, he didn't even give his name. Uh, that name was given by somebody from this earth on a higher realm for him to use. It means one who travels through the ethers of space. You know, even some of the stuff that's coming out of the Pentagon, even in the last few weeks, and, and some of the stuff that's coming out of NASA and, and some of the stuff that's coming out of astrophysics departments of various universities, is really showing that there are, um, you know, etheric levels. They don't use that phrase. But right from the beginning, Dr. King was talking about life on other planets on different levels, on different frequencies. So when he talks about life on Mars or life on Venus, he doesn't mean you can go to Mars and Venus and there'll be physical life as we know it there. He's talking about higher life, which you might not see, you probably wouldn't detect. Likewise, there is life where you're sitting now, Paul, that unless you're clairvoyant, you won't detect. But it's there um, on this earth. There, there are different levels and frequencies of such life. And so he, he got, to get to your question, two main communicators, the Master Ethereus and another one called Mars Sector 6, who gave the nine freedoms. Those would be the two most frequent. And then there were a number of others, not too many. Um, you know, it's not dozens and dozens, but I don't have the exact number. But uh, in terms of regular communic, very regular ones, it's five or six. I'm just, I think, four or five. There's Mars Sector 8, obviously the Master Jesus, and very rarely, the most rare one we have, and in some ways the most precious one we have, is from Saturn. And there's only really one sort of major teaching transmission of any length. We call them transmissions from Saturn. It's called the One Energy. And it's, I mean, you hear that voice. It's a very gentle voice, but an extremely powerful one. And uh, uh, with a particular character. And you, the voice itself has a power. Never mind the words that that are delivered. Okay, so mm -hmm. there's just so many questions I have. Um, I'm trying to. Just... You know, mediumship is a, is a fascinating topic, and you have to forgive me because I find it very interesting because I know what I can do, and I know very well what I can't do, which is, I think, a, a good thing to be able to know what you can't do and know what you can do. Doesn't mean you can never do it, but you got to know. What you don't know. Yeah, you got to push your limits. So, yeah. What what was um, Dr. King's philosophy, or did he have any type of encounters with negative entities, or hell, or the yeah. demiurge, or yeah, Satan? Very much. So. I mean, actually, he was again another good point. I mean, he was very controversial on that topic, in that a lot of people in the spiritual movement, the New Age movement, they don't like to talk about negative. In the UFO movement, you get a lot of negative stories. And I think, I don't believe all of them are UFOs or aliens at all. I don't believe 
uh, you know, everyone who's everybody who says, I'm not saying there's no one, but everyone who says they're abducted and taken out of their bed and etc. by ghastly beings from other worlds. I, I think a lot of it's happening right here on this earth. Um, and there's psychic interference, what you might call it, has gone on on this earth for a long time. But Dr. King was clear there are out there, not in this solar system, but there are out in space negative entities. Yes, there are. And there are very much on this earth, sadly enough, uh, dark forces as well as forces of light. And one of his main tasks, actually, was to combat those dark forces with light. Uh, and we can do that, but um, the world, you only got to look at the world, really, and the state that it's in and the suffering that is permitted, and I mean permitted, by the authorities that you were talking about, really. Um, they could do more, and they don't. Um, they could do far more, and people could do far more for poverty. I don't need to list it all off, but it's clear there are dark forces at work in this world, but there are also wonderful forces of light. Oh yeah. So for me, again, I've, I've had a spiritual journey. I, I I need to heighten that spiritual journey. So thank you for coming on and, and helping me get there. Cause this is, it's motivation, honestly, but Good. one of the most like powerful things for me is like, I've had quite a few people in my circle. My family have passed away. Um, right. my stepfather who I considered my real dad passed away about six years ago. And like, there's just, you know, at moments in time where I think of him or I'm in the car and something reminds me of him and I just get an, an overbearing feeling take over my whole body whenever I have these thoughts about, you know, loved ones that they're, mm -hmm. that they're there with me. So I guess that's the closest thing I've had to kind of what we're talking about. Just this feeling in my body, you know what I'm saying? Other than meditation and stuff I like do that. Know. But I do know what you're saying. Um, and you know, likewise, my father passed on and likewise, I've, I've seen my father since he passed on. Uh, it, it's, it's, a remarkably common actually paul people having contacts with loved ones who have died um but as well as loved ones who have died there are people who are interested in what you're doing i mean you're doing you're obviously putting out if you don't mind me saying you know spiritual truths that a lot of people wouldn't be willing to put out in in the mainstream media <laughs> you know right. they just they and only because it doesn't sell they think I think they're wrong quite often, actually, but that's what they think. That you know, I, I was told years ago by a, ma a big newspaper in what we call in England Fleet Street, one of the main daily newspapers, and I had absolute proof of Dr. George King's contacts. There, there is absolute proof of his contacts. I mean, you know, carte blanche, statistical, factual proof in certain cases, and I took this to them, and they admitted it to me. And but they said, look, almost appealingly, the, the editor or I think it was the deputy editor, he said, look, Richard, you know, we aren't here to publish truth. We're here to publish the truth that our readers want us to publish. That our readers will buy. Not just truth because it's true or important. He, said, he was one of the most honest journalists I've met, actually, just in, in admitting that to me. Yeah, and, I, and I went along to the BBC in London and I had, again, absolute proof uh, of, of, of our teachings, of the theorist teachings. And I won't 
bore you with all the details, but just briefly, Dr. King revealed uh, an atomic accident in Russia that hadn't been disclosed 18 years before it was disclosed. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. Did he have any yeah. Pro prophecies? Yeah, so all I was going to just finish there, they recorded the interview. They said to me, you've proved it. They told me what they needed as absolute evidence, which is the word of an exiled Soviet scientist, which I got them. And then not only did the story not go out from the BBC, but the person who recorded the interview with me left the BBC and wouldn't, or he either left or he wouldn't come on the phone and people said they've never heard of him, they don't know who he is. I know it sounds far out. I'm going back to the 70s now when I was press officer and I just started, there was cover-up. But anyway, in terms of predictions, yes. Um, I think, you know, in common with some other movements, a great new uh, age is predicted, a wonderful, as it were, heaven on earth is predicted, but at the same time, great warnings of the catastrophes which will come prior to that. And you can see that across the board. You can see it in the Bible. You can see it, again, in the Hindu text. You can see it in ancient Greek prophecies, in the Mayan prophecies. There's some common threads there. But what we're engaged in doing in the Ethereum Society is changing that. You know, and that's one thing I do know. The only point of a prophecy is to uh, use it. And if it's a bad one, to try and change it and correct it so that the bad one doesn't happen. Otherwise, what's the point of prophecy? Just sit there and wait for it to happen? Right. And so, you know, we are engaged at the moment very actively and uh, in cooperation, in, in direct, even though Dr. King passed on, as I said, 25 years ago, we're working now directly with beings from other planets to try and alleviate these terrible uh, accidents, uh, catastrophes that will come prior to this new age. Man. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's working. You know, we're having results there too. That's we're having res results in the world we, because we, we, we don't keep it secret. We will send out energy for a particular situation and then we can see. I'm not going to say it always happens immediately, but sometimes it does. And sometimes we've had things where, you know, there was going to be a terrible starvation in a particular area. Uh, nothing, no help was predicted at all. There was a blockage, I think it was quite fairly recently, in, in Ukraine. They weren't allowing grain out. We did a particular operation in cooperation with beings from other worlds, sending out a lot of energy and completely unpredicted, they lifted the blockade and thousands of lives were saved. Um, so that's going on now. That's not just looking back to Dr. King's lifetime. That's the Ethereus Society, ethereus.org. Rock it on. So uh, I know, granted, he's he's gone now. So you're kind of on your own journey now. And I'm not, never saying that right. you would want to fill his shoes because we all have our own shoes to fill. But, I mean, he has to be an inspiration to you in the fact that you've continued on the work, you know, and you've, you're carrying on this website and writing these books and still spreading the message on, of the light. Um, so what are, what are kind of your goals, you know, for the next five? Well, he's, he's physically gone. I would just say he hasn't sure. gone. He's physically gone. His presence is there and I'm not alone. There's lots of, uh, really good people. I say lots, there's dozens. Uh, I mean, we have hundreds or actually we have thousands of people interested in us, but we're not a very, very big organization, but we have a hardcore of, 
uh, I don't know, you know, dozens of people around the world, um, maybe maybe over. I, I haven't got the number, but I would say at least 100 really totally dedicated people in different parts of the world carrying this forward and others supporting them. Uh, so, you know, we, we have a lot to do. We have a task to do. And it's it's twofold. Comes back to where we started the interview. Really, you know, the big picture is is service to others, service to the world, working to alleviate the the dreadful conditions in the world, um, and then the other side of it, which is your own development. Uh, and it does lead, and I know this now. It does lead to enlightenment. It leads to psychic powers. It leads to healing powers. It leads to great powers of prayer, greater sensitivity, sensibility, but it can ultimately lead to an enlightened state, just mainly, not just, but mainly through service. And that's, I think, a wonderful thing because it shows that it's, and that's a karmic thing too, really. Uh, it would be something wrong, wouldn't there? if you sort of gave up your own development to serve others and then you didn't find enlightenment as a result, uh, you can. And as, as Master Theorist once said, what you reject is laid at your feet. So if you gave, give all your energies to help others, you won't lose out. And he made that promise and uh, I can stand by it. Uh, yeah, it's, I completely agree. And it's been a great podcast, Richard. Um, I, I know we're close to the end of the hour right now. Um, I, I did have one more question, but I, again, my mind's going in a, a lot of different places right now, <laughs> trying, to, trying to piece together some of this stuff. Um, yeah. Where where can we find you, man? Where can we find your book, your website? It'll all that'll be in the links below. But I, you know, definitely. okay. Well, so my website, richardlawrence.co.uk. People are welcome to come over there and 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 ask me uh, questions if they want to after the show on there uh, by email. Um, and then we have the Spiritual Freedom Show, which I mentioned. But the main website, really, where you get all the material is A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S dot org. Okay. Man, I don't know if you guys have a TikTok yet, but with some of Dr. King's work, I you know, I think that would flourish on TikTok, man. I mean, I'm going to ask someone. Just hold on. Do we, do we flourish on TikTok? We're starting to flourish. We're starting to flourish on yeah. TikTok. I should know, but I don't know all these things. For so, sure, yeah. no, that's where we've gotten. You it's know, work in progress, Paul. Yeah, one. it's it's the good place for it, man. But yeah, it's been fantastic having you on, man. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, hopefully we'll chat again sometime in the near future, Love man. Love to. Love to. And good luck with your show. I think you're doing great things there, Paul. It's good. Good to hear from you. I appreciate you, Richard. We have a great weekend and safe travels back to the UK, sir. Thank you. Bye. 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 There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Richard. Uh, fantastic podcast, amazing podcast. Um, if you guys have any questions, put it down in the comments below. Uh, reach out to me. I'm going to be uploading this here shortly in a couple days, which I don't know why I'm even saying that <laughs> because you're just, you're going to know when I upload it. But anyways, the best thing you can do for this podcast is like, share, hit the subscribe button. To all our junkies out there, stay flying, ring the bell.